0: Our little failures are typically our best kept success secrets. So most people who are successful in their life, it's not because they got everything perfect along the way. That's their highlight reel. What actually happened is they had lots of failures along the way that actually helped them become very successful. And most people don't wanna talk about that.
1: On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Alicia Wilford, an energetic coach with a passion for creativity and now author. We'll hear how Alicia followed her dreams and left a financial services career to start a yoga studio that failed. We'll then follow Alicia's journey of learning from failure, finding bravery again to start her coaching business, overcoming her limiting beliefs and getting that first book published, Little Failures. We'll also hear how she received a praise quote for her book from an author that has appeared repeatedly on the New York Times bestseller list. Check out the show. Welcome to the creator community. This is a podcast from book publisher, New Degree Press. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books through NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1300 published authors on six continents and has earned the 293rd spot on the Inc Magazine 5000 list. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. This is episode five of season four today, and I have with me Alicia Wilford. Alicia is a coach to creatives, makers, and entrepreneurs through her company, Yoke & Abundance. Yoke & Abundance is a life, leadership, and business coaching platform that strives to amplify the voices of women. Alicia's passion for personal growth and development and knowing that embracing little failures is a powerful path towards purpose led her to her writing debut, Little Failures, learning to build resilience through everyday setbacks, challenges, and obstacles. Alicia is an avid traveler, writer, and speaker who enjoys working with anyone who has a propensity to take action towards their dreams. In her free time, you can catch her spending hours painting watercolor pictures for fun. Alicia, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, John, thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure and honor to be here today.
1: The pleasure is all mine and certainly the honor. It's great to see you. Alicia, before we get into your book, let's start a little bit a little bit about your background. You spent a number of years in the asset management and insurance space. You know, how did you get from there to being a coach in so many areas for people's lives?
0: Yeah, I right out of college ended up at an insurance company, helped financial advisors sell life insurance. And it was one of those things, it was a great job for someone else. Not me. <laughs> it felt like a prison. A little, you know, I was tied to a very gray cubicle on the twelfth floor, and a phone and a desk. And I was good at it, but it just never felt right. So I ended up opening a yoga studio. Actually, while I worked that job, did that for about five years, and kind of burnt myself out—absolutely burnt myself out—and ended up deciding that coaching was the. You know, I have a background in positive psychology and decided that coaching was probably the right thing for me and made my way into that world and have been doing that for the last five years.
1: So you were running the yoga studio while you were also working for the insurance company. Wow. What was it about yoga and teaching that really drew you in you think?
0: I have a minor in dance. I've always loved dance and yoga out of college there was a studio right near where I was working and it like being in your body, learning how to move, stay healthy, deal with the stress of a job you don't like. It was really great. <laughs> so I went down that rabbit hole, yoga teacher training. And I thought like, I'm actually not bad at this. And I taught for a little while at someone else's studio and I'm never one to do things halfway. So I ended up just like, let's see what happens if I open my own.
1: Wow. That is so interesting. But I love this idea of sort of body and movement and connecting with your breathing and this kind of thing. Uh, I've done a little little yoga in my life. Largely, I'm not allowed to dance anywhere. I'm just sort of relegated to a back corner, which is probably better for most people. But that's a fascinating story. So Wall Street, uh, Wall Street, asset management, insurance companies working in the financial business, yoga. And then how did that lead you into writing a book?
0: Well, I always knew in the coaching world that one of the best things I could do for my business was write a book. And John, I have been pleasantly surprised to find out that I was right, (laughs) 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 which you probably know all about this already. And it's one of the things that I'm so grateful to the Creator Institute and New Degree Press for is that, you know, my book comes out in end of May. And I've already been able to land speaking engagements and articles and connect with a wider audience. And the book's not even out yet, you know, and I'm, I'm able to really go deeper with my clients through my own exploration into writing a book and gosh, it's one of the best things I've ever done. And I'm so grateful for new degree press and the creator Institute.
1: You know, many people think about a book launch being the first day anybody hears about it, but that's not the case here at all. Here you are months ahead, working on it, lining things up. And if you think about any super high profile person that goes on the late night talk show circuit, Good Morning America, right? They're out there the week the book comes out, which means it was planned weeks before. And certainly the the coaching you've been through, part of that coaching is also a pre-sale campaign to help fund the publishing costs as one of the ways to get that done. How did that go for you?
0: It was so much fun, at least for me. Uh, I had a blast because the majority of my work is internet marketing, right? I see clients online, I do my coaching online. I have been building an audience for a really long time. And so I've been working and learning about everything that that entails for years now. And so I was able to bring all of that knowledge into my campaign. And on the very first day, I had probably 150 to 200 personalized emails written out, lined up, ready to go. In the week prior, I had reached out to about 50 people individually and said, the first day really matters. So if you're planning on ever buying this book, please do it in a pre-sale campaign because this does matter. And between personalized emails, emailing my list, setting people up on the front end to let them know that this is important. And then, and then just trying to engage once it went live. I, I ended up with very close to 15,000 in revenue from that Indiegogo campaign. And, you know, I I kind of viewed it as like, if we were Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle, they do pre-sell their books. They do get people excited about it on the front end and so I just thought, okay, I'm going to go out into the world, and I am going to pretend that I'm already a big deal, and I'm going to pretend <laughs> that folks
1: want and you me. are, you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah, about that, but I'm going to pretend that, like, I'm going to act as if, um, like, the person I want to be in the world. I believe in my book. I believe in the message. I know that it's going to help a lot of people. And I got online every day and did Instagram lives and Facebook lives and sent lots and lots of emails and follow-up emails, and I was very annoying for a month, and it paid off.
1: So you said about 15, dollars $15,000. Was that enough money to publish the book?
0: It, yes, and then some. So I had some marketing aspirations beyond that, and so it's going to be enough to fund a few more of my marketing aspirations.
1: That is awesome. And you said something in there that really got my attention, which is, you know, I'm going to take on this persona of these folks that have done this and have you know maybe a well a more well-known name when i was working on wall street one of my mentors gave me brilliant advice and i said you know how do i get ahead and i'm sort of stuck here and this kind of thing i was probably in my early 20s and he said don't in a metaphorical sense and he, we talked about this in many ways but he said don't dress for the job you have dress for the job you want and honestly it got me to sort of think more about what i wore to work every day and how i carried myself and acted and taking on more responsibilities and the, the idea was also to not just dress, but take on further responsibilities when you can and see those, seek out those opportunities. And that proved uh, proved to be very good advice. Sounds like you did something similar here.
0: Yeah, it's like playing dress up, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like playing dress up. <laughs> so how did the uh, author coaching program, Creator Institute and uh, book creators come onto your radar screen?
0: You know, a friend who wanted to write a book had heard about it from a friend that was in the program. And she knew I was trying to write a book, and she said, "Alicia, that book you've been working on for a really long time, where are you on that?" And I said, "Oh, it's it's written and it's horrible." And she said, "I think you should apply to this program." So I did, and I trashed the other book, wrote a whole new book. And you know, that book in the past that I wrote was it was a great practice round. How about that?
1: I bet you got your name right on the first edition. If I had to guess, you probably got that yeah. right. Yeah. How, how did it feel now? Thinking about, did it feel like a failure to take that first book and throw it away?
0: You know, it's still in my Google Drive somewhere. No, <laughs> I knew, it it. Felt I knew
1: like,
0: it. <laughs> it. it felt like foundational to get all of that writing out, and also what I learned is a lot of that is probably actually salvageable. But it wasn't the right book for right now. But it might be the shitty first draft for another book.
1: Maybe a blog series. I bet there's all sorts of gems in there. And it's so interesting. When I went through my book journey, so many people reached out to me and had a similar story. John, I've been writing a book for five years and I've never gotten it off the ground. I'm stuck on chapter six or something, or I can't even get past chapter three. I got so many of those notes and those people ended up being great supporters to the, the pre sale campaign for me as well. It was really cool. But you or one of those people yourself and found your way into the journey to write Little Failures. So Alicia, Little Failures, what's the book about?
0: Little Failures is the idea that our little failures are typically our best kept success secrets. So most people who are successful in their life, it's not because they got everything perfect along the way. That's their highlight reel. What actually happened is they had lots of failures along the way that actually helped them become very successful. And most people don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> But that's typically the case. And so um, this book is all about helping people overcome fear of failure. And then once you have had those 10 seconds of bravery and done the thing that you're terrified of doing, and let's say it doesn't go well, okay, now what? It's the process that successful people take to overcome failure once it happens, learn from it, and then most importantly, take successful recovering actions after failure happens so that something good will come out of it.
1: Such a powerful lesson. And there are, we always hide these things, right? I remember my 23 plus years on Wall Street, I got calls so many times over the years from people saying, John, how did you move through your career so quickly? It looked like you did it with such ease. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> all the late nights, and like all these mistakes I made along the way. And for some reason, I kept people in the dark about all the hiccups I had along the way. And as I started to share these with people, it really became impactful. I think that might be my inspiration story for if I was going to write a book called Little Failures. Alicia, what was yours? What was your why behind this book?
0: Oh, That yoga studio I talked about, that was kind of the first like big failure that I had. I poured myself into it for five years. And... You know, my goal was to make money off of that. And I never made any money off that. I poured a lot of heart, soul, time, energy into it. Now, I learned so much about running a business, developing a business along the way, but it felt like a failure because I didn't hit my own goal on that. And after that happened, so many people, when I sold the studio, said, Alicia, you didn't fail. And John, that bothered me so much because. Someone telling me I couldn't fail made it very difficult for me to grieve the experience. And when we don't grieve our failures, when we don't allow ourselves to feel and express what happened, it's difficult to distill the lesson that's hidden in there because we don't we don't frame it in a way. Pain actually helps us learn. And we don't like to think of that, but it is oftentimes the pain of something that helps us remember the lesson of it. And so many people t- tried to tell me it wasn't a failure. And so it got me really curious about what our relationship to failure actually is. So that's that's where the seed of this idea was born.
1: Relationship to failure and grieving is a source of power and learning. I really appreciate that thought. What has been your favorite lesson you learned along the way in, in your life? With, what's your favorite little failure, Felicia? <laughs>
0: Oh, golly. Well, the, the yoga studio sunk cost fallacy. I don't know what you know about that.
1: Can you explain for our listeners what sunk yeah. cost?
0: It's it's the, the wanting to put good after bad. So let's say you have a car and it starts to break down and you get it fixed. And next thing you know, it breaks down next month and you get it fixed again. When really, you might need a new car because you're going to keep pouring money into this machine. And I did that with the yoga studio. I thought, oh, I've got so much time invested in this. I have so much money invested in this. Instead of cutting my loss and bouncing two and a half years in, I had to just, I I didn't know sunk cost fallacy at the time. And I wish I would have because I would have cut my losses sooner.
1: That is, I appreciate you sharing that story, but charged you to, to move on and start this coaching company and now help so many others. So clearly uh, no fear of failure. We all have it, but when we do have a, a fear of failure, one of, I think one of the topics you talk in your book about at length in terms of helping people in a roadmap, you know, we have fear of failure. So what the heck do we do about it? How do we face yeah. that?
0: Well, so I, I want to back up, back that up if that's okay. So there is a word for the chronic and persistent Fear of failure. It's called a tiki And I doubt many of the listeners have it because only 1% to 5% of the population actually does. However, all of us can probably relate to some of its symptoms. So some of its symptoms would be being really critical of your mistakes or the mistakes of others, shrugging off compliments, procrastinating on big, important projects. And then the fourth thing is not feeling like what you did is worthwhile unless you get it perfect. Right? So fear of failure leads to perfectionism. So the way we get over that is we have to muster 10 seconds of bravery. That's just all ten. It. just 10 Just 10, just 10 (laughs) seconds of bravery. Right. And so one of the things I like to encourage people to to do is to make a list of like three to five things that you've been thinking about doing, but you've been putting off. Like one thing that I just recently did that that I took my own advice. I wanted to get back into ballet. My parents pulled me out when I was little and I've been terrified because I think I'm going to be Horrible at it, and I probably will in the beginning, or you know, I think I'm too big for a leotard, or you know, whatever, what, what, or too old, all of those thoughts. I'm terrified of basically failing. So, I'm it was on my list, and I said, Okay, I just need to have 10 seconds of bravery. And yesterday, I hit sign up for a ballet class, and it that's all it takes it's make a list of three to five things that you've been thinking about doing, pick one sign up for it, do it, tell a friend you're going to do it. That's all it takes.
1: Take small steps, create some accountability for yourself and know that it just takes a, f- a few seconds and making different decisions during that small window can really have a major impact on your life. I love the practicality and the idea behind that. And this fear of failure, all those things you listed off, I feel like you basically described me and that's interesting. Alicia. Thank you for that. Uh, all, the, all the fear of failure for what was the word for fear of failure?
0: Yeah, it's the chronic and persistent fear of failure, and that is a tiki phobia.
1: A tiki phobia—that's a—that's a tricky one to say, you know. So putting yourself out there, putting things in writing, challenging yourself, but not in a massive way. Just finding some things to do to maybe get outside your comfort zone. You know, another theme you talk about is, is this concept of failing out loud. Alicia, what's that about, and why is that important to us? <sighs>
0: Thank you so much for asking this question. So I really, truly believe it's important to fail out loud. And what I mean by fail out loud is talk to your friends, talk to your family, let them know what you're doing. And and then when you don't get it right or the way you wanted, talk about it, talk about it out loud, share what you learned in the process, because that normalizes trying. And trying is really the most important thing. I just, I have a small caveat here in that learning out loud, failing out loud, I'm a proponent of it. Yet the ramifications for men and women are not the same. So in my book, I write about a study by Heather Sorensen in 2017. So just five years ago, and she surveyed many different people surgeons. I want to say it was over 2000 surgeons and I I might be getting that particular number wrong. It was a lot of surgeons. And when a surgeon had a patient pass away after the surgery, no matter what the cost, female surgeons experienced 54% fewer referrals purely based on their gender. And so that now I'm not advocating for death by failure, right? Like that's not what I'm advocating for here, but I think that this is really important. And that's just the difference between men and women failing out loud. It's not even the difference between minorities failing out loud, but the more we can fail out loud, the more we're able to encourage others to learn out loud as well. And it helps us all become braver and try at the things that are really important to us.
1: Failing out loud, learning out loud. i like this idea you shared of normalizing these types of concepts. You know, another key concept I think you came out, came out of with the book, with especially through you did so many interviews for it with these amazing people. What did you find that successful people do when failure happens? How do they how do they get back up? What do they do?
0: There's four things. Grieving is very important. Giving yourself time to feel the feelings it's almost like we have um, a beach ball. Our feelings are like a beach ball. And if we press that beach ball down, if we try to pretend it didn't happen, the further we push a beach ball down, we know the further out of the water, it's mm-hmm. gonna bounce, right? And so it's really important to let that beach ball be on the surface. So that's the grieving, Be on. The, you can you can bounce it around, you can have fun with it if it's on the surface, but it's not gonna explode out of the water in an unpredictable way if you allow yourself to grieve it. So after you grieve, gather your community, bring in the right people, your personal board of directors to help you frame the failure in a way that you can learn from it. Now, really successful people do a SWOT analysis of that failure. What were the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities and the threats of what you just tried. And if you're gonna try it again, how can you iterate to find more success and innovation in the next round? And then the very, the fourth thing that they do is they take recovering actions. So they do try again, not in the same way, right? Like we're not gonna beat our head over <laughs> with a stick or whatever the, the same way, but the recovering actions, being able to get, literally get back on the horse if it throws you.
1: This idea of a personal board of advisors, I think is absolutely extraordinary. And I, I really appreciate that concept. You know, for folks who've never even considered that, you know, where do you start with that? And how do you pick these people? Yeah,
0: you know, it can be very, very simple to begin with. And you don't actually even need to know everyone on your personal board of directors. So a personal board of directors, I like to think, who's my mentor? Who's my advocate? Who's my coach? You might need a lawyer. You know, there's some practical types of personal, a lawyer, an accountant, things like that. Who's going to be the advocate, the person when you're not in the room, they're going to bring your name up. Sometimes we need naysayers on our personal board of directors, the person that is going to like shoot holes in your idea so that when you try it, you've already considered that. Sometimes when we have that seedling of an idea, we need to go to our cheerleader first. I've got a download for this for my book. So people can go to my website and they'll be able to download a worksheet to think about who are these people in your life. And then to my point of not needing to know the person, who's the the leader in your industry that you look up to? And it's like, what would they do? So I think about like, what would, you know, just like how I approached my Indiegogo campaign pre-launch sale for my book, you know, what would a Glennon Doyle do? What would a Marie Forleo do? What would Brene Brown do? Sometimes we don't even have to know them. We can see what they've done because they learn out loud.
1: Borrow from their courage, take a page out of their playbook. So powerful. You know, The I think the last step to your successful recovery successful people do when they have failures is these, these recovering actions. Can you give us maybe an example of one of those in your life or from your book?
0: Absolutely. And I have to tell a little story with this one. So I got to interview a woman who lives in this town I live in, in Greensboro, her name is Julie Luther. And she (laughs) is a fitness instructor. She owns um, a fitness studio called Pure Energy. In 2019 she got thrown from a horse. She's been riding her whole life. First time she's ever been thrown from a horse. She broke her hip, she broke multiple mm. ribs, and on the way to the emergency room in the ambulance, they the ambulance called the hospital to bring a clergy member in because they weren't sure if she was going to make it. She mm. spent over a week in intensive care and recovered and within 2 months literally got back on that horse that threw her, that almost killed her. And she said that now she has a better relationship with that horse than she has with any other horse she's ever ridden. And she can do more with that horse because they have now trust with one another. And it's literally when we fail, the most painful thing we can do is get back on the horse And it is also the thing that will bring us the most learning and success. So it goes back to that bravery. We have to be brave.
1: I mean, you can't make stories like this up, right? Get back on that horse and ride after it throws you off. What an unbelievable story and what a powerful recovering action. And I can't even imagine getting on that horse for the first time. I'm not going to say I have a, an Iraq, whatever you call the fear of horses. I, I don't know what that phobia is, but I, I have some degree of that. There's such massive animals that right? I was, not that I haven't bone horseback riding, but I'm always like, this is weird. What is this? Wow. What, what an incredible story. You know, how do you think about success or failure, you know, in, in you know, the, the value they bring to you or how you sort of approach them with your own values? What is, what is that about your own value? How does your own value system help you determine success and failure?
0: John, thank you for this question. This is my favorite part of the book. And that, as a coach, the most important thing that I think clients can do is write out their core values and begin to bring themselves into alignment with their own personal core values. When we live from our values, spoiler alert, success and failure, neither of those things matter because you know you're living from your own true north. And to me, that's what it's all about. It That's what helps us actually muster our braveries when we know we're living in alignment with our values.
1: You know, I, I really appreciate that concept because when we set our own values, we put them out there. It helps us as individuals. I think it helps us as leaders. It helps us as team builders and culture builders. And then we are defining success, right? Rather than so many times we let whatever's on social media or the news or our neighbors, all these other things get defined success for us. But when we set up our own values, right? It, it lets us make make that definition for ourselves. What an unbelievable story. Little failures uh, coming out this late spring, 2022. Alicia, as you went through this book, how would you say this, this book has changed you? What have you learned about yourself along the way?
0: This book, surprisingly for me, helped me heal a lot of things in my life that I didn't know needed to be healed. The process of writing this book, when I got done, I realized that I had had a story in my head. You know, when I was very little, I wanted to be a writer. And I do not have a neurotypical brain. (laughs) And I thought I was stupid. I internalized a belief that I was not smart enough that I wasn't good enough to write a book. And I set my sights on doing other things. And I pushed out the idea of wanting to be a writer. And so towards the end of finishing the final draft of my book, I realized that I wasn't stupid. And I was smart enough to write a book. And I had something to say that was important in the world. And it gave me the opportunity to comfort and heal that inner child that I didn't even know was wounded.
1: Writing, researching, feeling you could do this, take on this big project and get it done. Alicia, where do you think that uh, limiting belief came from in your life?
0: You know, I don't have, a, like I said, I don't have a neurotypical brain and I was definitely in the slower reading group. And as a child, you know, when you're in the slower reading group, I was pulled out of class and sent to the math van and the English van. And so, you know, you're different. And so you start to believe a story about yourself that isn't true. And you start to internalize the messages that other kids might be even inadvertently giving you about who you are and what you're capable of in the world. and. Going through the Creator Institute, going through a New Degree Presses process, process um, I never believed that I wasn't smart enough to do it. In this, you know, I it gave gave me the confidence and the path to do it. And along the way, I didn't even know that that needed as much healing as it did. But it was definitely a lot of healing for me.
1: Wow, that is so interesting. So the we, we, we've it sounds to me like our public school system, if that was a public school, has sort of institutionalized creating limiting beliefs for some people along the way. And now that really makes me think about my own children and the circumstance they're in right now and what's going on in their school. That's a fascinating story. And look at you. maybe a, a little failure, having this sort of limiting belief along the way, and you took your own roadmap and and got past it, wrote your own book. And I think many times for people, they think a book is this big output thing. I have to have this big message in me. And what I would say is, You have to be willing to learn and grow. And I think that's really what writing books are about. So many times we think, oh, I can't write it because I don't have this sort of perfect manuscript in my head or whatnot. And really, to me, it's about learning. And it sounds like you had a similar journey, not only learning about your content and becoming more of an expert in that space, but learning about yourself, as you said there. When you think about positive outcomes for the book, personally, professionally, uh, Alicia, what has been an unexpected positive for you from the book journey? Oh
0: my God. So I love speaking. (laughs) And I've already had I've landed three speaking engagements. Again, book's not even out yet, and so
1: congratulations!
0: Thank you. And I've been able to talk about my passion of little failures and share that roadmap of what successful people do when they encounter failure. And that's a dream come true, along with so many dreams come true as a result of writing this book. But that's definitely one of them is being able to speak to groups
1: so already landed' a few new speaking engagements thanks to the book that's incredible and speaking of unexpected positives I would I would certainly call this one you got a really interesting quote from uh, a pretty well-known author out there Daniel Pink and I saw this quote here that he shared with your book failure is a universal experience uh, Alicia wilford frames it in a way that we can metabolize the lessons and come out stronger on the other side Daniel Pink number one New York Times bestselling author, the power of regret, drive into sell as human, and many, many more. Alicia, how did they feel to get that quote from Dan Pink?
0: There was laughing and crying involved. <laughs> oh, it was just one of those stunning moments. And again, that's the, the 10 seconds of bravery. So I wrote a lot of emails to a lot of people that I didn't think would answer my emails. He would have been one of them. And, you know, it was that 10 seconds of bravery that I had to just ask just ask and you know a lot of people told me no but but look what was a result of just 10 seconds of bravery
1: so cool and i think you two have an origin story that's similar right you're both from the same state
0: yeah he's from ohio i'm from ohio yeah i wish i knew him personally because he wrote. He just wrote The Power of Regret, which is a phenomenal book. And it really goes hand in hand. Failure and regret go hand in hand, right? And so his book is so good. It, he talks about writing a failure. I'm such an advocate. I wish I'd thought of that myself.
1: <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, his book came out a few weeks ago. Well, Little Failures is out this spring 2022. Alicia, what is a key message you hope readers take away from your book?
0: Be brave. Learn out loud. Take recovering actions.
1: Such a beautiful practical roadmap to, to execute on. Don't have to take big leaps. Be a little bit brave step by step. And you can go out and find out what's what's next for you in, in a much more positive way. And really, I think, turn around your circumstances and stop living in this stage of fear of failure that so many of us have and to, to different degrees or these limiting beliefs. So, Alicia, what is uh, what is next for you and little failures? Uh
0: well, the book comes out in May. And so I'll be signing over 315 copies and then throwing a launch party and hopefully some more speaking engagements.
1: Unbelievable. Definitely one of the most successful pre-sale campaigns that New Degree Press and the Book Creators Institute has ever seen. Congratulations on that. If people want to learn more about you and your story, where might they go?
0: Uh, my website, Yoke, Y-O-K-E, and abundance.com.
1: Awesome. Alicia's book, Little Failures, will be available late this spring, May 2022, wherever you buy books online. An incredible story of not just accepting and reading and learning about our failures, but living them out loud, seeking help with others and finding a better path forward and learning from our mistakes. What a powerful message to share with the world. Alicia, thanks so much for sharing it with the creator community.
0: John, thank you so
1: much. Pleasure is all mine. I'm your host of the creator community. John Saunders, keep moving forward.